Across the Park podcast is proud to be sponsored by Globe Gas and Heating. For the best kitchen and bathroom renovations, boiler servicing and repair, and central and underfloor heating in the Northwest, head over to globecentralheating.com and quote Across the Park for a free quote. Hello, welcome to episode 15 of 2324 season Across the Park podcast. My name is Ian Mills. Delighted to be joined today by one of my friends and one of the best journalists around, the Everton FC correspondent, blushing already, the Everton FC correspondent, Liverpool Echo, Joe Thomas. Joe, thanks for joining us again. Hey, How are you? Thanks very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. As, as much as those kind words <laughs> might disagree with some of them, you know, but, but grateful for them nonetheless. I mean them, mate, and I'm going to get into why your coverage of Everton has, has been some of the best around. Um, before we do get into the weekend, I, I want to talk a little bit about the coverage the past mm-hmm. Ten, nine, eight, seven days have been since the judgment was handed down last Friday, or, or at least made public. The deduction of Everton's ten points. What was it like at the um, the Echo headquarters when that news broke? We imagine it was all hands on deck. Yeah, it was bedlam. To be perfectly honest, I think that we all, I think we got to a point where we expected uh, the verdict to come in the international break. Uh, yeah. Not we, yeah, we didn't have any forewarning, and I think one of the many kind of frustrating things about this process was the lack of clarity over what would happen and when but you just kind of got that sense that maybe it was building up towards it it felt like a sensible time for something like that to come out and almost felt like a degree of inevitability as well in the sense that you know Everton has this I don't know it feels like it's cursed at the minute just as everything looks like it's going going all right and you have three consecutive wins in London and you know you just grab the great impressive win at Crystal Palace and you're in an international break thinking you know what I can think about my life outside of football for a little bit rather than thinking yeah there's almost a degree of you know of of course that's going to happen so yeah it was it it was um, a really complicated process there's a lot of technical information to try and get to grips with at very short notice and it's one thing trying to understand it and it's another thing trying to interpret it and it's mm-hmm. another thing trying to form an opinion on it and whereas you know 10 15 years ago and ever you know before that you know you would have to wait until the next day's paper to, yeah. to kind of do all that now so much of there's so much kind of pressure on things to be instant and, and, and quick that adds a another degree it you know, ramps it up a, a notch but yeah it came as a it came as a shock the severity of the penalty mm. is I've been on this podcast and I've watched other podcasts and it's all the same. Everton held the hands up. There's guilt. There's mitigation. You know, how much mitigation is, is viable is, mm. is another question. But 10 points for me, it's a point more than it would have been for going into administration, staff losing jobs, mm-hmm. debts being wiped, creditors being out of pocket. Did it feel that way to you as, as a professional journalist? You know, take away the Evertonian and take away covering Everton Football Club and a football fan as a journalist and, and mm. professionally, did it feel a bit bit much? Yeah, it, it does. It, it still does. Um, and that's a position that isn't helped by the lack of clarity within the 41-page the, the judgment mm-hmm. as to how they got to 10 points in the first place. And, and obviously the, the Premier League hasn't come out and, and clarified that, <coughs> added any, added any more information to how they got that point since then which which is also um you know problematic i think this was always it's an unprecedented penalty because you know it's the greatest penalty that's ever been handed mm-hmm. to a, a team in the top flight in you know in football his, in english football history in terms of points deduction there was always going to be a 
point to which it was going to be unprecedented because no club has ever been you know, found to have breached profit and sustainability rules before. But that doesn't mean to say that there haven't been cases throughout the Premier League's history, particularly recently, where the Premier League has sought to clamp down on other clubs in a bid to protect its integrity. Yeah. And when you read through the judgment, you know, that is the, the thread of the Premier League's narrative, that they're trying to protect the integrity of their competition. So I think that when you don't have any any case studies to compare against that are like for like, you look for similar situations where the Premier League has sought to, to rally against clubs that have sought to undermine it. And when you look at those other cases, because there are, it looks very, very difficult to see how 10 points could be justified. Mm. You know, we have, as you mentioned, their administration, well, nine points, surely yeah. Yeah, that's one of the worst things you could do in football. The, the impact it has on local communities and on the wider footballing ecosystem it, it, you know, can often be catastrophic. Obviously, Everton didn't do that. Mm. You know, they breached these rules and they have breached these rules, but £19.5 million, as serious as that is, is you know, it's 150th of what... Chelsea has spent under exactly. Todd Bowley. <laughs> you know, I mean, that isn't to say that they don't deserve punishment or not, nor to say that the, the breach isn't serious. But again, that in comparison to what would happen if, you know, think of all the businesses, the people, community initiatives that would suffer if everyone was to go into administration, well, that would be far more severe. Mm. And then, you know, I think rival clubs kind of, or certainly the fans of these clubs accuse people who, who push this as a bit of whataboutery, but I do think that the, the Super League is, is a relevant thing to bring into this for, for context mm. because, okay, those six clubs wouldn't have left the Premier League. It was a Champions League that they were seeking to, 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 to leave, but by creating a closed shop at the very top of European football, it have completely undermined the sporting merit and integrity of the Premier League and the whole English football pyramid. The idea that anyone can get anywhere if they you know, get you know, their decisions right. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, for those clubs to have essentially got a you know, three and a half million pound fine, pretty much again, you know, you can't find like for like comparisons, but you can find other cases where the Premier League has sought to protect its interests from, you know, forces that have tried to undermine it. And mm. when you look at those, Everton's, you know, penalty remains unprecedented. It's very difficult to see why. And, and just touching on the, 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 the big six or whatever you want to call them that did try and break away and form this closed mm. shop. Um, look, rightly or wrongly, I think some of the calls at the time would, would it be, you know, unjust, relegate them, give them serious fans. The Premier League... <coughs> Uh, and whoever decided amongst the Premier League to give those £3.5 million fines per club. If you remember, what led, what came out with that is we cannot punish supporters for what mm-hmm. clubs are doing, for what people who say yes and no and make decisions. We can't punish the supporters. I don't see the difference here at all because this podcast is part of the All Together Now campaign and, and we've asked for change uh, and the groups alongside us and some supporters who've done that have more or less said to everyone listening, we're not happy with how the club's mm. being run, we're concerned, we, 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 we're fearful of what might happen if this ownership remains, we want them out, we want them changed. We've gone through all of that with, with full transparency and I do feel that Evertonians are being punished. Mm. Do you think that, that's a fair statement? I think, um, I think one of the things that's getting lost in, in a lot of this is the, you know, the, the idea that a lot of people from outside the Everton bubble still seem to think that Everton deny any wrongdoing that fans don't think yeah. they should be punished at all and that couldn't be any further from the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that most fans accept that the club deserves punishment. Um, you know, even the club accepts the breach now, so punishment yep. of some degree w- was, was inevitable. Um, and the reality is that there's been no more vocal and no harsher critic of 
the way in which Everton Football Club has been run than the, its own fan base mm. over over the past eighteen months in particular, um, but even before then, and you don't you know you didn't have to look very far to to, to see that writ large, and you know it was it was you know the protests were were very very clear and strong and um, impactful. You know when when we got into the early stages of this year and, and the back end of that relegation battle, so you know. Fans have been at the forefront of, of of highlighting and questioning the you know the some of the the decisions that have been made in the running of this club that have mm-hmm. led to this situation for, for for quite some time, um, you know, and they're more than you know it's a fan base that's very very aware I think of of, yep. of the parameters and of a very knowledgeable fan base and I think it's a very fair minded fan base and I mm-hmm. think that 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 is the you know, the course that's running through the argument here. No one's turning around saying, look don't deserve anything like this or don't deserve any punishment. It's just that trying to understand where 10 points has come from, the impact that that has, you know, that go far beyond you know, the football club itself and, and, and the people have made these decisions. Mm-hmm. But last weekend in one of our my Everton WhatsApp groups, I said I wish the United game was today. Mm. And I think a lot of fans echoed that. Like they want to get in that grounds. I think the Wales was watching. I know Sky had picked that game you know, pre yeah. you know, the punishments. But the, it felt like the Wales was watching yesterday and the build up to it was £40,000 raised towards mm-hmm. banners, mm-hmm. an aeroplane going over, another game that was on TV you know, if you look at the, in the weeds on social media there was rumours that Sky were going to try and not shoot certain things and Everton totally trying to get round it when there's a ball by the family enclosure to hold something up. Were you surprised at, at how the Goodison looked and sounded yesterday because to me I was in there quite early, and even when they brought—I know you were probably in the media mm. stand when this happens. Even when they brought the Premier League stand out, mm. there was booze, and it felt like every corner of the ground was full, angry, ready. Were you surprised at, at the noise and the, and the sight, or, or did it not surprise you? It didn't surprise me because I think that you know, <coughs> albeit in circumstances that we all wish were different, you know, we mm. wish that we wish that as an Evan fan base that was mobilising for you know European campaigns and silverware. Uh, unfortunately, that's not been the case in recent years. But we have seen, you know, several times in the face of adversity, just how powerful and how you know, united this fan base can be, and what mm. that can look like. You know, you look back to that Chelsea game under Lampard, the Leicester City away game. You look at, you know, the you know, the scenes after Crystal Palace, all of that under Lampard. Then you look back to last season, and you you, know, you think about Bournemouth that final day. You know, this is a fan base and a stadium that can do things that others simply can't. Most other clubs in the world can't match the 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 intensity. I don't think of of, of Everton fans at Goodison. So I think that combined with the I understand what you're saying about the the delay between the judgment and the game. And I think that probably would have affected the players. I think from a footballing perspective. It probably would have been better for Everton if they hadn't had that international break and they mm. were going into this Manchester United game fresh on the heels of both that punishment and that you know really really important and impressive resilient win at Crystal Palace. Mm. So I can imagine for the players, especially with them being dispersed all over and all over the world on holiday and international duty, probably would have been a really weird eight nine days. And yeah. it wasn't until Friday morning that everybody, the full squad, was back together. And that's when Sean Dyche held this first kind of proper team briefing following the deduction. So it's it, it, on the one hand, from a footballing perspective, the preparations were far from ideal. But I think that from a fan perspective, they were they were good because 
you know, when you look at what the 1878s and, and, and other influential fan groups, such as the Fan Advisory Board, have managed to do in, mm-hmm. in, the, in the past eight days, you know, obviously they raised a lot of money, but they also created a lot of unity and they created a campaign that, as you saw yesterday, so emphatically, you know, the best part of 40,000 Everton fans were all able to get behind and, and they did so, you know, unanimously. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that was really impressive. And, and, and like you, I haven't had time yet to go back and look at how the coverage actually played out. Obviously, I was very privileged to be in the stadium and see it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was in there, you know, it was, you know, it, 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 it lived up to every bit of expectation that you hoped would be achieved. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of the emotion going into this week was hoping that, hoping that the hard work of those fan elements would, would pay off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it really, really did. And obviously we know what happened on the pitch and yeah, that was unfortunate. It was always a possibility, but you know, I don't think the, I don't think that what happened on the pitch should undermine what happened off it. No, uh, I think the main, the main takeaway should be look at everything that those fans achieved yesterday. And okay, the whole, the watching world might not have seen it. You know, that some the big chunks, it might've been cut out but it was still there and that's still important. That's still relevant and something to cling on and a, a platform of strength to build on going forward. Yeah, you've mentioned there, Joe, on the pitch and I, I do want to get to the United mm. game. Uh, just quickly before we do, uh, where you sit in the media section, mm. I imagine there was impartial journalists, there was Manchester United journalists as mm. well as Everton. What was the reaction in the, in the, in the media section to, to, yeah, to the anger in the ground? I think people? that a lot of, you know, and you see this, you see this a lot with visiting reporters when they come to, you know, when it comes to Goodison Park, people aren't used to can't be in there week in, week out, are surprised by you know the intensity of the atmosphere yeah. and and what you know the environment that Goodison is capable of creating. Um, I remember when Newcastle, obviously, again, it was another game where it was a big build up that you know, unfortunately events on the pitch didn't didn't work out as we hoped. But I remember being at the Newcastle game in the spring and obviously it ended up being the 4-1 defeat that yeah. I think probably left most of us thinking that relegation, if not a probability, was was a genuine, genuine threat at that point, such was the manner of the defeat. But if you remember, and it's hard to go back and remember this now, that first 30 minutes, Everton were on top and Newcastle looked really, really rattled. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I remember looking at some of their players and thinking, I, I don't think they want to be there. I remember hearing one of the Newcastle journalists behind me, because obviously at that point, Newcastle, and obviously they continued this, you know, we're looking at Champions League football. Yeah, yeah. And I can remember one of the new, hearing one of the Newcastle journalists say, you know, one of the things that Newcastle are going to have to learn if they want to play in European football and compete at the top end of the Premier League is how to cope with hostile atmospheres, mm-hmm. because it looked like a team that was struggling to cope with what Goodison was creating. Now, they rode through the storm, Everton, you know, kind of how we've seen so many times this season didn't get the early goal that they probably needed to kickstart yeah. you know a, a, you know a successful 90 minutes and get a good result um and in the end Newcastle's quality kind of and Everton's yeah. fragility shined through but those words still kind of stuck with me because you know I, I think that is a sense that opposition players and opposition fans opposition um you know journalists do do still very much get when they come to goodness and I think that would have been certainly would have been a case again the case yesterday I think a lot of people blown away by what they saw and, yeah. and you I think it's probably worth you know for people that are interested enough you know it would be interesting to go back to the you know social media timeline say of Manchester United journalists or independent national journalists back to you know four till four four thirty five mm-hmm. yesterday and look at what they are saying and what they are tweeting and yeah, the videos and the pictures that they're showing oh, yeah. <clears throat> and compare that to perhaps what was being shown on TV at the same time. And if they were to do that, then 
they might have two contrasting narratives and it'd probably be really insightful to do that. Well, I am that much of a weirdo that I'm going to do that tonight. Now, you've put that in my head <laughs> and I am actually going to go and, go and do that tonight. <clears throat> Talking about the game, Joe, I, I, I was really dejected after the game. I took my little boy and, and obviously five-year-olds react very, very differently <laughs> to defeats. There was upset and things. and But I felt quite dejected by the performance and then I got home and I seen stats and the stats put like 22 shots and you look at it and go if you didn't put the score on there you think Everton would have would have won the game the naked eye to me was a little bit different and what I mean by that initially is the first 20 minutes I thought that atmosphere that cauldron mm. was built for press tackle minute one minute two minute three it didn't quite happen their goalkeeper Onana seems to have a lot of time on the ball to pick his passes and I don't know if we were set up that way. I don't know whether we went into default modes and just played that way. But I, I think the first 20 minutes, I, I felt a little bit let down. Can you can you understand that? Yeah, and I, I probably agree with that as well, to be honest. It didn't quite, <clears throat> yeah, the intensity in the stands wasn't quite matched on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, I think particularly when it was going to form with Manchester United are in and the talent that we know they got in their squad, there's, there's also fragility there. Yeah. And um, you know, it felt really that it would be a good opportunity to press them, press them hard and press them early. And yet I think there was probably a willingness to allow Anana to have the ball. Mm. Um, and that probably perhaps was a bit of naivety in that because, you know, he's been someone that's been brought there for his ball playing ability. And True. okay, he hasn't shown it that much at Manchester United. He's had a difficult start to his career. You know, it's still there. And I thought mm. the combination that, the combination that, that hurt Everton was the Anana and, and Kobe Mainu. Um, little partnership and yeah, you know, having someone a mobile number six that was willing to split the centre backs come in and basically his his willingness to receive the ball twenty yards out facing his own goal, it just meant that all of a sudden you know, Decore and Calvert Lewin were split. So Evan had two pressing against three players outnumbered, yeah. and then you know, the rest of the team isn't pushed up behind them. So all of a sudden you've got Maynu turns and he's got all the space in the world to then try and get Everton get Manchester United up the pitch yeah. and yeah and. That hurt. Um, obviously, yeah, I'm sure we'll speak about the goal. The goal was phenomenal. It comes out of nowhere. Um, it's the most Everton thing ever. Really, yeah, it is. <laughs> Do you know what? Like, I think that. I, I think that. Um, the, the mad thing about that goal, as special as it was, is, and I think it probably goes to show for perhaps where the mindset of a lot of Everton fans are at the moment, and a lot of people in and around the club and are used to dealing with the club, is that as sensational as that goal was, I think that once people saw the cross go in and saw him shaping, the backpedaling shaping up, I think it was almost an expectation that something like that would happen. <laughs> like, you know, like like you like it sounds daft for, you know, what is a, you know, probably one of the finest goals in Premier League history. But like, I think given the way in which, you know, circumstances seem to, you know, collude against Everton, I think a lot of people are saying for, this is probably going to be. This is more likely to go in and be shinned halfway yep. up the the Gladys yep. Street, isn't it? And like, obviously, it did, and it was a phenomenal goal. But again, you know, that turn of events, it just feels so evident at the minute. It's just it so does, frustrating. Yeah. It, it probably on any other scenario, it would have got a smattering of applause from some fans because mm. it was so early in the game and Everton was still in it. And fair play to everyone in that ground. They've got right behind the team again. The Everton song sort of drowns out the mm. United celebrations. But you're right. The Wales are watching. 
for us and then that happens to us proper Everton um, a little bit more in the detail Joe of, of the game itself I was really disappointed in our wide players mm. um, for whatever reason and again I'm, I don't want to point at individual players or the manager I don't know why we played the way we played so it's not fair for me to blame you know A, B or C but Dwight McNeil for me he's not really been at it I'm not too sure whether he's coming back from his injury still I'd like to think that it's been four, five, six weeks now so he should be over that mm. but is it a bit of a concern because he was such an important part, a part of why we stayed up last season when Sean Dyche came in. He was putting goals on there, his work rates. Haven't quite seen it yet. Is he fit? Or? Yeah, I can see his work rates. Um, yeah, I think the reality is he's probably being, he's probably, whether it's something that's been signposted or not, he's doing a different job to what he was doing at the back end of last season because mm. the difference is that now Evan have a fit and fire and Dominic Calvert-Lewin up top and they didn't have that. So there was more pressure on him to produce True, yeah. an attacking threat at the back end of last season and contribute with goals. And obviously, yeah, there is there is still that necessity and that need for goals in that Evan side. But when you look at this season, chance creation and goal scoring haven't been the issue mm-hmm. so I think that it's probably easy to look at Dwight McNeil and say he's not scoring goals um, but he is part of a he is part of a, a framework there that scored three goals at Crystal Palace scored three goals at Brentford mm-hmm. scored two goals Aston Villa scored three goals against Bournemouth and I think that the way in which that setup works if you take any one element of it it all falls down. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Dwight McNeil's perhaps not had the attacking numbers, but you look at Jack Harris on the other side. Has, Obviously yeah. got the goal against Bournemouth, had a number of assists, yeah. including the one against um, uh, Palace, you know, set up for Mikalenko. Um, yeah, we don't see much from the wire players in terms of, of, of beating players, beating defenders, mm-hmm. getting to the byline. And it's not that much that we don't see much overlapping from the fullbacks either. A bit more of Mikalenko because we've got the goals recently. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very difficult to watch a game and be excited by what you're seeing the wingers do. But I don't think that necessarily means they haven't been effective. And I think when you look at that first half, it took probably 15 minutes after the goal for Evan to get back into the game. But then they had that 25-minute period when really they should have scored. And if you look at the chances that were created... Well, one of them, yeah, I'm trying to think, obviously, there was Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Hedder from an Ashley Young cross. Oh, that obviously yeah. come out wide. He was overlapping from Harrison. I'm not sure. It might have been McNeil who played the ball across for Decore. Yeah. I mean, that was the big chance that I fought. Um, so they're not as obvious, but that doesn't mean to say that there isn't good work being done out wide. I think it's mm. just a little bit harder to acknowledge because the way in which Deitch sets this sides up, yeah, they're almost playing certainly on the left with you know it's almost like you've got a left back and a left wing back isn't it and yeah. and that makes it makes it harder so so I, I i don't think i'd be panicking over dwight mcneil at, at the minute um and i don't think i'd be panicking over evan's creation of chances again mm. that was another very good aspect of yesterday it wasn't just they had 24 shots they had a number of very good opportunities yeah but once again we come back to that situation with what happens if they don't get the goal and we saw that yesterday well, the, the manager said that. I, I'm not too sure whether it was pre or post game, but but a journalist asked him about home form, and and he said that the form's been fine. Bar Luton, we, mm. we battered Wolves, we battered Fulham, we just couldn't score. Yes, they a little bit along the same lines. If if Decore makes it one one, and then Calvert Lewin puts the header away, you go in two one a half time. It's yeah. a completely different game. But for whatever reason, we're not winning enough games at Goodison. No. 
we've got Chelsea and Newcastle coming up in, in, in the next two to three weeks who are who are teams that for, for different reasons need points and mm-hmm. um, they're going to come to Goodison and they're going to say we can win at Goodison we have to win at Goodison tough games how do we find a way to start winning games at Goodison because what's happened to us with with this deduction for me Joe it means our home our home form has to be a lot better yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a question I don't have the answer to because you know part of me feels a little bit for Deitch in, in this because you know when he talks about things like XG and underlying stats, and you know, they they mean different things for different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are True. multiple ways to watch a football match, but the reality is that those statistics matter in the world of football because everybody at Finch Farm will be talking and looking at those things and judging their performances by them to to a certain extent. And there's a lot to take heart from. You know, one thing that we've seen under Deitch, you know, is is he's created Evan sides that create lots and lots of chances, mm-hmm. and as Kind of just mentioned with the amount of goals that have been scored, they, they, they do take chances, they do score, they you know they do score goals, but it's strange how a team that scores creates so many chances and scores a decent amount, healthy amount of goals over recent weeks and months, still looks strangely impotent. Yeah. Um, and I kind of it's it's the lack of the clinical edge, really, isn't it? I think it's particularly when you see it's a side that doesn't tend to do well when it goes behind, but then does very well if it takes a lead. Yeah. It's more about the mentality of, you know, it's not about creating 20 chances that you miss, it's about creating one ch- the one chance that you score. Yeah. And that's where they need that ruthless edge. And Dominic Calvaloon is very good at that, but there's a lot of pressure on him. And I suppose the problem that Everton have with the Fredbear squad is that, you know, more pressure falls onto legs of McNeil and Decore and Harrison. And, and these aren't predators. Mm-hmm. They're players that can score goals rather than goal scorers. And I think that that shows a little bit with Everton sometimes. You know, you you need, you need to create the free chances for Decore to get the one goal. Um, yeah. And yeah. probably the same with some of the others. And that, that shows, I think, because obviously I mean, you can only do so much in a game. But I, I don't actually know the answer. Like, I wish I did. Mm. <laughs> um, because with, the thing was, when Dominic Calvert-Loom wasn't there, you could say, well, maybe the answer isn't buying a, you know, a high-class or up-and-coming yeah. centre-forward that can take advantage of these chances. But in Dominic Calvert-Loom, and Evan have a player that is far more able than anything they could afford. And he is scoring goals this season. Mm. But he doesn't score every chance. And then that creates additional pressure on everybody else. Um, how Evan get around that? Evan, I don't understand. I don't know how Evan get around it without carrying on doing what they're already doing, um, and just hoping that more often than not they'll end up being okay. But whereas we've seen away from home, that might be the case at home. It clearly isn't the case because we yeah. have case study after case study. And one thing that is absolutely undoubtable, as you just mentioned, there is that that's got to change. The the, the form of game two has to change now that they've got that ten point deduction. Hundred percent. What what works away isn't working at home, mm. and goes back to where where I really wanted Everton to start brightly and, and aggressively yesterday's game. And I understand the argument for Everton should have won the game. I completely understand that. But I'd like to see Everton when they play Chelsea. I'd like to see Everton play Newcastle under the lights. Mm. Newcastle especially, I'd like to see Everton really take the game and just 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 throw caution to the wind. It's a home mm. game that we're probably not likely to win. People won't like that, but we're not likely to win it. Go and try and win it from minute one. I'd really like that. Joe, we, we announced on our Twitter that you were on today and we invited some questions for you. Yeah. Um, so I've picked a few. Um, Zed on Twitter, his opinion is that um, Sean Dyche's blind spot is currently Ashley Young. Um, he, he adds that... It looks like he doesn't trust Nathan Patterson, uh, but now Seamus Coleman is fit again. 
can you see Seamus Coleman now starting games over Ashley I, Young? I think Seamus Coleman's return to fitness is a, helps Sean Dyche a lot, really, because uh, you know I think we've all Ashley has had the best of starts of the season. So I've yes. been games where he's good, and I thought he was I thought he was very good against um, against Brighton. Um, but then there have been games that he's struggling as well. Obviously, the Liverpool one is, is the most obvious. Yeah. Um, and it's very frustrating how he keeps on picking up yellow cards and often early, and that inhibits what he can do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like even yesterday, you got that early yellow card and you're just there thinking, when, to be honest, you know, he gave away the penalty. Sean Dyche complains about the penalty from a process point of view I think he's got a point you know what is clear and obvious are the referees on the pitch supposed to have the most power in which case you know do you surely it has to be something massive to overturn it but ultimately you know from what I've seen of that penalty I think that Everton were actually just lucky it didn't get given straight away yeah. and I think if it had got given straight away I think Young's probably in the book and he's off yeah. um, so you know it, it probably needs a little bit of time for reassessment but I don't think that Sean Dyche publicly would, would necessarily um, admit that. Yeah. Uh, what Seamus Coleman's return allows him to do if he wants to is it gives him an opportunity to make that change, take Young out the firing line for a little bit without him necessarily, without any him, without there being the opportunity necessarily say, ah, oh, look, you're acknowledging that you've perhaps made a mistake or persevered a little bit too long on it. It gives him um, you know, mm-hmm. a, an easy option which he can save, he can make the change but still save faith mm-hmm. because you said, well, the club captain's back, so I'm obviously going to give him a chance. True. So I, I think that you know, he has more leeway to make that change than he had with Nathan Patterson, who you know, it does seem to be a bit of an issue. He, he speaks highly of Nathan Patterson when you ask him, um, but he very much speaks highly of him as a player for the future. Mm. Um, now, I think there's probably an argument to say, well, when is that future going to be? Might be next season. It might be a long-term strategy where it's like build him up for next season when there's a chance neither Coleman nor Young will be at the club because their contracts run out. But I think the supporters are saying, asking the question, does Dyche trust Patterson? I think, I think given what we've seen over the last 10 months, I think they're entitled to, to ask that question. I, think I can understand where it's coming from. Um, I like Patterson. I thought he did well at the beginning of last season when he got his first true run in the side. Yeah, yeah. And he survived the change of uh, Lampard's change from five at the back to four at the back. And he, he was doing okay. Remember the Derby game, you know, the nil nil, he played really well. Was, and, yeah. uh, the problem was he picked up an injury and it just, you know, it, 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 hit, it stunted his momentum and, and he struggled ever since then to, to get back into the side for reasons that probably aren't his fault. But I think that the answer to, to Zed's question is I think Coleman probably offers. Deitch a solution to the issue uh, right back at the minute without having to you know to, to lose face over it so probably see a change there possibly earlier Saturday a big game uh, at Forest on Saturday evening huge game uh, Chris Campbell on Twitter he, he said can Joe give us an update on, on Deli Alley the manager seems very generic with his responses he's back on the grass he's not on the grass um, how long until Deli Alley is going to be fit yeah. and do you see Deli Alley actually getting game time this season forever. Yeah, I think he's going to be touch and go whether he's back this side of Christmas. Okay. You know, I think it's still, um, I think he's still, at the, at the best case scenario, I think he's still some weeks away. Um, you know, where obviously we have probably come accustomed to the idea that there's two types of fitness with Sean Dyche. There's standard match fitness <laughs> and, and then there's and there's Dyche fit. Yeah. Um, I think that when you see the way in which he, you know, was patient with Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He'll probably continue that patience with Delhi. Um, 
So can you, you see know, a role for Delhi in this team? I can see a role for Delhi in this team. I I, I can. If, I mean, if the, if Delhi could get to you know thirty percent of what he was doing producing you know two thousand eighteen nineteen for Spurs in England, he has something completely different to yeah. the seven side. You know, I kind of albeit he's not necessarily someone that would that would run with the ball. I, I kind of noticed this Crystal Palace when you know we had Eberechieze playing at Everton just. That like little dynamic spark of someone that can pick up the ball in the middle of the pitch and and and, and run and be creative with it, you know, is something that Everton really really miss. Now, you know, Delhi isn't the same type of player as Ezzy, but that kind of creativity, that innovation, you know, the 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 Delhi has the footballing intelligence. I think is something that, if I'm honest, I think it's something that's missing particularly from the Everton centre mm. midfield three. You know, I think the the four players who are competing for those three spots all bring positive attributes to to the to the team but I don't think either of them have the attacking intelligence the creative intelligence yeah. that Delhi does so if there was a way of getting him on the pitch um, I think that I think that Daish's threshold to bring him in both in terms of fitness and where he's at would be very high um, if he was to get to that point where Daish was satisfied that he could do a job then absolutely no doubt that he could have a role in that in that team obviously you've also got the issue with the the the, the, the money that would course, come yeah. in but um but yeah i i would be surprised if we saw him before christmas um that's not to say he won't be fit before christmas but there's that whole Deitch. yeah we've got we've got eight games haven't we in december so there might come a point maybe around the fulham carabao cup game where Deitch might start to go, you know, will I make a little bit of a leeway on my you know, demands in terms of threshold of fitness to get to try and fast track him back into it, to try and add a bit more depth and competition into this side. So maybe, um, but I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be gambling on him to be you know, certainly not available for Forest or maybe that Chelsea and Newcastle. Yeah. I think they'll be too soon. Yeah. Okay. Um, Adam on Twitter as well. Asking again, they want all the behind the scenes questions. They're yeah. asking the right uh, stuff here, Joe. Yeah. I've got you on. Um, can you give us any sort of updates on a takeover, potential takeover from the 777 group? Um, do you have an idea when it will be done? And a follow up question is, is Adam's also asked, does the points deduction make 777 group think twice of the purchase or are they still invested? Yeah, in? I think they're still invested. Um, I think they knew that there was a potential something like this could happen. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they knew that there was this prosecution of Everton going on in the background when they've had these talks. And, and I think that the, there was always a, a feeling within the camp at Everton that there was a chance that they could be made an example of here um, and that the punishment might be more severe than than perhaps we, we most people have anticipated. Um, yeah. Still don't think they probably thought it would be as severe as it is, but 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 but, but clearly I think there was always that potential. Um, I think that seven seven seven's framework of reference is probably more in relation to survival and relegation rather than points deduction, mm. which obviously feeds into that. Um, and I think even in the case of relegation, I think there are contingency plans in terms of how much they would pay and when and what the how the deal would look, mm. which would mean that they would still have an interest in Everton even if there was to be a severe threat of relegation. Um, to what extent they kind of made those plans hoping that they would never actually have to kind of consider them in reality is, is, you know, you know, they, they, they might've been hoping for the best. And I think, you know, there's a degree of fairness in that when you look at where Everton were operating, well, they went into the international break, eight points clear of a relegation battle, didn't they? So, I mean, yeah. so I don't think that currently, I don't think that it'll, that will it'll impact it. Is, um, is it close to completion? Do you know? I don't or? know. Is the perfect? You know, obviously, again, it's it's a closed behind closed doors process that the Premier League and and, and, and other organisations are going are going on. Now they uh, 
when it was announced, the the idea was that they thought it would be completed this year. Mm-hmm. I think that was a hopeful framework. I think these are naturally quite complicated. Um, I think probably some of it depends on how much rigor the you know, people like the Premier League are going to you know, apply to those accounts. Um, if they were to apply the same rigor as they've applied to Evans' accounts in relation to this um, profit and sustainability breach, then you can imagine it'll probably take some time. Uh, so I wouldn't be too surprised if it was to stretch into the new year. Um, and I'm, you know, it's, it's going to be a really interesting. The timing is important because obviously you have things like the January transfer window and and things like that. So, and you know, this is a club that you know, could do with with however you read things could do with morale boost and things like that. I don't know if seven 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 taking over would necessarily provide that. I think that there are still a lot of question, unanswered questions. Yeah, of course. Um, and I think that perhaps what this point deduction does is one, it takes the attention off some of the attention off, off 777 and uh, their ambitions and their suitability for, for you know, to, as potential owners of Everton. Um, and two, it also probably adds another layer of complexity for them and the club in terms of being public about what they're saying. Um, so we're probably likely to hear less as a result of the points deduction um, mm. as everything becomes a little bit more secretive. Um, so, so yeah, I, I can't give an honest, I can't give a, an accurate assessment when it's going to be. Um, the hope was always it would be before Christmas if it was to get approved in the first place. That's obviously getting closer and closer. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it stretched a little bit longer than that. Um, I don't think the deduction at this present moment in time will, will, will hinder um, 777's ambitions in relation to Everton. But again, whether or not they kind of complicate some of the matters around the takeover itself and perhaps delay the process, that's probably something that we've got to be alive to. Mm, that's fair. Um, I've picked two more questions, Joe, for you, and they're a little bit personal, if mm. you don't mind. Um, and probably the most personal question a man can be asked. Mm. Red or brown sauce on a sausage toasty? <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm a red sauce man. Oh, I know, I know, that is controversial. I just thought I'm not really a big fan of brown. So. Oh. Steve, I hope you got the answer that you yeah, you wanted there, mate. I didn't get the answer I wanted. I'm brown all day. Um, and Jess, I think this is a very good question from Jess Joe. She's um, when you're sitting in the in the media section, and mm. uh, I imagine that you have to show a degree of professionalism and be impartial. Is it hard to keep emotions in check when Abdullah Decore scores past Bournemouth? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, it's a good question, um, and it is hard. You know, I mean. You know, full transparency. I grew up a Shrewsbury Town fan, yeah. so like you know, I've got a lot of blue season tickets. holds. My family the club's always been close to me, but that probably removes me one step a little bit. But mm. the thing is that I've always, you know, Evans always been a club that's close to my heart. But now it's over the past sixteen months that I didn't. It's my life. Yeah, like Evan is just my life now. Yeah, and it's very difficult to kind of separate personal and professional now because obviously I want the club to do well like you know I want the Blazers I want the you know I haven't had the proximity as I've had and to you know to to this incredible fan base so like I want them to be celebrating the right things and you're just so desperate for the club as a whole um and and it it can be so I would say the the one time that I can look back on and say that I that I just broke the kind of unspoken role and celebrated. I just couldn't keep my emotions in, in check was um, Mikolenko's volley against Leicester um, under Lampard, the 2-1 win. At Leicester. At Leicester. Yeah. Um, obviously, it came off the back of, of that incredible 
uh, win over Chelsea, you know, the, and went to that game five points adrift, and yeah. then we had all that, you know, the the coach welcome, the and then the amazing, just amazing win, yeah. and then that kind of fed into the build up to the Leicester game, where you, again you had those scenes at Finch Farm, yeah. and just being there and just seeing the away end even before the game. And obviously, with Evans' away record being so bad as well at the time, kind of still going into that game with a bit of trepidation. You know, when Mikalenko scored, obviously, how much that goal meant, the nature of the goal as well, because it was a screamer, mm-hmm. and also the player who it was, because, you know, I think we all know that you know, of course. he's a player that's going through a lot personally yeah. at this present moment in time. Yeah, I, I, I celebrated that, and I, I really. Well, I clearly struggled to keep my emotions in check. I celebrated it. So um, the the core against Bournemouth, I think I was, I think I managed to keep my emotions in check. The the Palace comeback was just a mad one. Oh, the Lewin. I actually, yeah. I I tell you what, I, I find what I find harder is, I'm relatively good at maintaining my calm when goals are scored. It's more the the ebb and flow of a match and the decisions that I that I struggle with. So it's like where I kind of really have a fight is when I think like bad refereeing decisions against Evan, when I'm just sitting there and I'm just <laughs> like, so, you know, having the you know, Canate, the second yellow card against Liverpool recently, like I just, you know, you just say, you're just so overwhelmingly. Um, and there's a little bit like that with Eze uh, Palace um, in the first half because he was already on a yellow card and he'd had a second foul. And then there was a moment when Garner in the first half picks up the ball and has a shot um, and, and he fluffs it because I thought he was fouled by Eze. I remember it, yeah. um, And the ref wave play on, but I thought it was a foul and I thought it was a foul. He had to go off and, you know, obviously one that would have meant a lot in terms of the game and, yeah. you know, and, and you know, it obviously it meant a lot because of how good a player Eze was. Obviously, Evan went on to win. But it's those kind of nitty gritty bits. It's those like little picky bits I really struggle yeah. with. I remember at um, Wolves, Last season was a really interesting one because obviously Evans scored Yerry Mina in the 99th minute. Yeah. And and there were, with the press box, so the press box is almost, well, the press box is always embedded within the home fans. Of course, yeah. You know, so obviously there are different sizes of press box and things like that, but you normally end up, say, one of your boundaries is with the director's box and the, you know, the hospitality and then the rest is obviously you know, home fans and season yeah. ticket holders and things like that. And I remember when, when Yerry Mina scored, there were there were big celebrations of that goal at Molyneux in the home stand and it actually led to a big kickoff <laughs> around it as the Wolves supporters compla- were complaining it's and blue, shouting. Blue media, is it? Uh, blue media. Blue media, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I know that, you know, I... I, I we were a little bit further away, so I don't know if it's had the same reaction, but I think Kevin Farwell celebrated in a director's box as well. Oh, he's from um, history with Wolves as well. So Farwell, like, yeah. yeah, I think he celebrated that goal. I didn't see that, but I think he, he's spoken about it since. But those celebrations really, really riled up the Wolves fans. <laughs> and and as we were going back in, you know, there were Wolves supporters <laughs> complaining to security inside the stadium and trying to point out the people that celebrated wow. because they were that angered by, you know, Gold meant, it meant nothing to Wolves whether exactly, they won yeah. or, drew, or drew that game. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like there was real kind of animosity around what happened. Like, And obviously it is something that you, you kind of want to remain, you retain your professional integrity with. But you know, like I began this answer by saying, the reality is that Evan 
and is now a large chunk of my life so it's impossible for me to yeah. not get caught up in the emotions or something and whilst i'd say probably 92 percent of the time i'm all right yeah that michelenko goal it's just the, the palace comeback was almost it was the sense of the occasion was so enormous that it almost made it easy to shut out and just focus on work because okay. you know i knew i had to get down the history that was being made yeah, yeah. in front of me but the um Say that that Mikalenko goal, like I, it, it was probably surprised a lot of people listening that that was a goal that tipped me over the edge, but 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 it was, yeah. So. I've got visions of you at a, a palace just doing that to the referee oh, when there's a card and causing royal rumbles. Like, like the, the, yeah, the, the, the Jordan I not getting sent off in that game, I probably would have had more of a reaction. And obviously, it's 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 less of an issue at Goodison because you know, the fans you're surrounded by are Everton fans. Um, but yeah, I think my I think I probably would have had a more of a, a visceral obvious open display of emotion <laughs> when a you didn't get sent off for that like knee high lunge on anthony gordon that yeah. i probably did when calvert lewin scores the winner yeah. so it's, it's yeah that that's what gets to there's me. different vices isn't there? everyone's mm, got the vice and, you, and yours yeah. is a wrong referee decision that's it. against the mighty blues uh, two more questions from me joe before we let you go yeah you, you're a busy man and we, we really do appreciate you yeah, no, appreciate coming in um on. The appeal, I, 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 what I'm hearing is in. The Everton Football Club have uh-huh. put the appeal in. Uh-huh. Um, do we have much chance of getting a result in this, getting a reduced um, punishment? Because we're going to get a punishment. We've admitted guilt. Mm. Do Everton, in your opinion, have, have a case to get this reduced? Yeah, I mean, it would seem so. I think the, the, the biggest hole in... Not the biggest hole, but one, one of the issues that... Um, the Premier League have got in their judgments or the independent commissions they, they don't really set out the framework it's Andy Burnham's point you know they don't really set out the framework by which they've, they've judged Everton mm-hmm. um, so I think their best challenge is probably less on making more of the mitigating circumstances and more on complaining about the process in in the first place you know was this you know was was due process followed was this a a process that to a certain extent was made up as it went along and it seems to be that that was that was the case so i think that um you know you know, there, there must be a chance of it being reduced. I don't think it'd be reduced significantly, but I think their strongest argument will probably be around the technicalities of the process rather than the breach itself. Okay. Because, you know, obviously they admit the breach. And whilst whilst a lot of the conversation around the breach is centred on very specific financial elements like interest on loan payments and whether those loans were used for the stadium or for day-to-day running of the club and 4% transfer levies and where that's gone and then, and things like that. The reality is, it's a judgment on the Mashiri years and and the excess spent. It's it's it's. I think Everton are better off less focusing on the you know the the handful of millions here and there that might have taken them over the edge of the limit. Mm-hmm. And when really the issue is how they got so close to that limit in the first place. And I think you know we don't need to cover old. We'd be yeah. covering old ground if yeah. if we went into that. And you know I think that's a lot about what was you know the protests were about at the beginning of the season. Um, that's not to say that I don't think that they do have genuine argument with some of those mitigating circumstances. There are a lot of unforeseen um, events that, that 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 have you know held Everton back a little bit. And you know, if you said if you said one of those things was to happen, you'd you'd say oh, that's unfortunate. You know, two or three of them happening. It's just yeah. like again, come back to this idea that the club is just it just can't get any luck at the minute. I think yeah. I think for all the bad decisions that've been made over you know recent years at this club, it is also a club that hasn't had very much luck. Hmm. Um, 
now obviously that's not the argument they can make to the commission but no, you know this the, you know there'll be a new panel that they can make you know their arguments to i think there are probably a, a few elements of the mitigating factors where they could have made stronger arguments and didn't so perhaps maybe if they focus their attention on different part on, on strengthening some parts of their argument i think mm-hmm. that they might hold sway uh, but i think the biggest issue has got to be you know the severity um the lack of precedent the lack of a framework or explanation as to how that penalty was reached. Um, and then also, you know, like I said earlier, just on those few occasions where you perhaps do have a little bit of context to compare this against. In particular, I still think that administration, nine points, yeah. is a more severe thing for the world of football yep. than what Everton admit doing. Um, so how Everton's breach can warrant a bigger punishment than administration is completely lost on me even more so when um you know the premier league again interesting but like the premier league don't accuse everton of dishonesty and the commission don't accuse everton of deliberately breaching the rules so for all that there is this argument around perhaps everton you know being accused of misleading the, the commission on certain elements i don't really understand how that allegation can have can override what are the conclusions of, of both the other parties, which is we're not saying this was dishonest and we're not saying this was deliberate. Yeah. So it's, you know, I think there is a degree to which everyone can have justified complaint over that. Um, and if they can get a few points back, because I think that's probably the best case scenario. Yeah. Well, that might actually make a big difference. Let's work on a f- final question, Joe. Um, let's work on a basis that we get no points back. 10 points stands. Mm. Are you confident that Everton still have enough to, to, to be out of danger by, by May? Can you promise me I'm going to sleep on the last week of the season? Can't promise you're going to, go, you're going to be able to sleep for the next few months. Um, I do think Everton have enough. I do think Everton will survive. With even, the 10 even, points. With the 10 points, I, like I do. Um, I think that probably one of the, the, the crueler things around the way this has panned out is that I think Everton was set up for a season through which they weren't going to be taking it down to the last week of the season as they have in the last two. I thought that they were creating um, sustained progress, which was going to get them into a position maybe next, back in the March, April, where they'd be able to plan properly for the summer, knowing that they were going to be in the Premier League. So rather than have to have contingency plans in case of relegation, they would be able to plan knowing that they were going to be in the Premier League. And next summer is a crucial summer for Everton because a huge number of, there's a huge amount of squad turnover and it's the first opportunity for Kevin Farwell to really get to grips and reshape this squad yeah. um, and it's a shame because obviously the whole point of the financial rules is to try and encourage clubs to be more sustainable and I think Everton are a club that are already on that path of having learned the lessons of the past and you know getting themselves to a more sustainable footing well, the merit payments and crucial, and you know, ten points might be the difference between finishing fourteenth and seventeenth. Of course, yeah. And yeah, you know, that could be six, eight million pounds, and that that it's matters. A money, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's yeah. a lot of money that matters. And they're also in a position. They were also looking towards to get into a position where they could perhaps build a Premier League, a competitive Premier League squad next season, but be able to do it on a on a budget far easier than recently because they'd have that planning head start mm. that they haven't had in recent seasons. And again. That is probably, I think that's where everyone will suffer here. I think that's what's been taken away, that that head start on planning for next season and that real opportunity to build on the progress. I think that as much as it hasn't been perfect this, so far this season, and there have been difficult games and disappointing performances, I think we can all see that 
you know things are improving there um and it does seem to be sustained and it does seem to be you know a club that is getting stronger and more resilient um and now they're losing their opportunity to carry on building that carry on with that momentum because they're getting dragged back into another fight um I'm a bit worried about December. Forest is a big game on Sunday. Yeah, um, because whilst I do ultimately think they have some will claw the points back, um, there probably is a scenario in which at some point during the season we have a few sleepless nights and it might be this run of fixtures. Because all of a sudden the December of eight games that looked like it was going to be, you know, I was looking at a Christmas period. I was thinking, you know what, it can be a Christmas period where my my professional life is about the football and what happens on the pitch mm. and you know we can go into games against Chelsea and you could go to Spurs play against Man City with a little bit of freedom yeah. um, because of the buffer that they built up from the relegation battle go into that Fulham Carabao Cup game thinking you know what there's Cup run is on here yeah. and that there could be a scenario where post Christmas that we can say that that's the priority because we're relatively comfortable with where Everton are on the pitch and now all of a sudden it's starting to look a bit like you know, obviously Luton got that win the other day Forest is a difficult place to go to if Everton don't win there, then you know, Burnley, Sheffield United play each other so that you know, they'll pick up points in exactly, one yeah. way or another. And then all of a sudden, you have Chelsea and Newcastle, both clubs you know, that have their vulnerabilities, but both that also have a lot of talent. Six-pointer against Burnley, yeah. and it spurs away Man City at home. So I can't promise that it's going to be a pleasant Christmas um, but I, I, I do still think that there's enough in this club for them to stay up. I think they, I think they will stay up. I think the problem is for for all of us. One, we might have a little bit of a nervier Christmas, mm. and two, it might be a case of, you know, beginning of May that we're putting our feet up rather than perhaps the end of March. And I think that'll hurt all of us. But as long as they get there, then yeah, that's the most important thing. Joel, I'll take I'll take your word for it. Start of May, I'm going to be feet up, I'm oh, going to be comfortable. But be, I, yeah, I do agree. December, December's going to be hairy. I, I think there's going to be a, a moment in time where Everton may be looking up a little bit. And and I, and I think it's what I do think it's important is, is I think yesterday in the grounds and the results and the frustration. Let's not let that harm us as a fan mm. base. We're together. We know now the job is is going to be a five or six month job. It's not going to be a one month job or a five or six week job. Um, so yeah, I agree. December is going to be going to be tough. But but look, this football club at times has pulled results <laughs> out. When you mentioned Chelsea there two seasons ago, five points in the zone, mm. and look what happened there. Yeah, this club has faced a lot of adversity in, in in recent years, and I think that the diff- I think it's in a different place now, and a much stronger place yeah. to deal with it and combat it than it has been recently. And I think that you know that should be the main takeaway from from yesterday, both on and off the pitch. I think if you take away the scoreline, obviously you know it hurts. Um, and you know it's another game that Evan have lost and not got points from, but there were elements of the performance which you know still provide hope going forward. Yeah. Um, and then what we've seen off the pitch in relation to the supporters and the way in which they've united should give a great deal of encouragement for everybody. You know, going into December and then the new year. Joe, it's been great to get you on again. When I texted you last week, I thought I've only had him on a couple of weeks back, but you've been really gracious with your time. So I do appreciate it. Anybody who, who who doesn't know who Joe is, where have you been? He's, he's the guy who sticks up for fans, sticks up for the club in the Liverpool Echo. If you like me and you're old school, he, he, he writes in the, in the Liverpool Echo, go to the back page, go straight to Everton. And if you're online... 
Go to liverpoolechoes.co.uk, click the Everton bit, and this guy's responsible for a lot of great content, and also the host of one of the best Everton podcasts, the Royal Blue podcast. But Joe, from me, and Across the Park podcast, thanks again for coming hey, thanks on. so much for having me on. Thank you. Thanks for the questions as well. Really appreciate them. Yeah, you've got to ask about the Reds or Brown, haven't you? Thanks, <laughs> thanks for the questions on Twitter, which is at Across the Park PC. We also at Across the Park PC on Instagram. Um, you'll be glad to know Judgy's tagging back in this week. You've seen an awful lot of me last week with four shows. Judgy's back this week to talk to a Nottingham Forest fan and preview this Saturday's huge game. Thank you to the amazing Pod Cafe Studios here in the Baltic Quarter for having us and hosting us again. Amazing, amazing guys. And they're tagged in our bio as well. If any young content creators want to come and have a chat down here, the guys will speak to you and give you some really good rates as well. But look, great to have Joe on. And as I said, together in this, yesterday's results shall not alter and it should not and will not alter our togetherness. Everton, aren't we? Up the toffees.